welcome again, listeners, to the second installation of this podcast. My name is Jeremy Buck, an MBA student who is working on his oratory skills in a multi-part podcast series for his course, Principle-Centered Leadership and Ethics. This is episode two. For more context about what I'm talking about and a written transcript, please see the accompanying documents where I list the questions I'm answering and any relevant links or sources I use to formulate my responses. Thanks again, Dr. Palmer, for letting me present this content to you in this format. I look forward to any remarks you may have about my word choice, vocal gate, production quality, and of course, content. Dealing with disrespect. It's been an underlying theme for as long as we've had human story, from Cain and Abel to the oldest writings found in human history, which, ironically enough, involve a Babylonian merchant upset about the quality of ingots he was delivered. Well, in the modern era, very little has changed. The past two years have been a hard time for many people. Today, it can be difficult even to guess what's going on in each other's heads. But disrespect carries a twofold impact on the employee's performance and on the team's dynamic. I think that it can be hard to address disrespect in the workplace. It's an uncomfortable topic that most people shy away from, especially if you don't know what the roots of it. In many cases, it may be okay to let a single comment go, especially if it's out of character for that person. But being a good manager means establishing a healthy line of communication. If someone wants to make a rude remark or speak out of turn during a meeting, I would make it a point to set up a one-on-one meeting with that person the following day. I would make sure that I opened the chat by setting the expectation that we were following up on the remarks made yesterday. Then I would give that person a moment just to speak openly. Conversations like this can be hard to prepare for, but I think it's important to figure out what's going on with that person in their personal or professional life and figure out what's caused that stress to bleed over into the professional environment. It would be important for me to set up a follow-up meeting either at the end of the week or at the start of the next to ensure that that person knows that they're supported. I do think it's important to reiterate my expectations that disrespectful actions or remarks have no place on the team and that they will be called out if they occur again. Disrespect can come in many forms. Some of it's more visible than others, but any disrespectful actions, if repeated, will have an impact on your team's morale. Work environments quickly become toxic if that behavior is left unchecked. To me, it's important that leaders call out remarks and actions that are disrespectful if any sort of pattern forms, to let everyone know that behavior like that is not acceptable. I think that that can be a hard thing to do, but it benefits everyone knowing that it's not tolerated. Moving on to the next question. Emotional intelligence is a term that I think most people are aware of. In fact, I did a quick survey of eight of my colleagues, and I was surprised by the result of this ad hoc pseudo random sample. Everyone was able to tell me some vague definition which focused on it being the ability to perceive one's own or others emotions. It amazes me that this seemingly obvious idea 
doesn't date back to the likes of Plato or Freud or any other famous philosophers I read about during my small stint as a philosophy major. In fact, it's less than 25 years old, a fact that I read on Wikipedia, but then cross-referenced with the New York Times bestsellers list. We now know that people with a high emotional IQ do better as leaders. It's the fun fact that I've seen plastered on the first slide of countless PowerPoints from corporate meetings. But to me, I believe that self-management is the pillar that I put the most faith into. Self-management, the ability to regulate one's own emotions. This allows a leader to set the mood of the environment, appearing strong and unwavering to ease anxiety when a situation is uncertainty an empathetic tone to provide comfort when delivering bad news, keeping a calm, steadfast demeanor to inspire confidence even when sharing something went terribly wrong. I know that these leaders feel anguished, torn, or even apathetic to the news that they're delivering, but the tone of their voice, their facial and body expressions, that minutia all sums up together to project an image that allows their audience to react in a predictable way. Now, you may have your own opinions on the man, and I have mine as well, but to me, Barack Obama is the pinnacle of a self-regulated leader. His vocal gait was so distinctive, I bet you could hear your, his voice if I were to put the text from his Yes We Can speech in front of you. President Obama saw good and bad times in his eight-year tenure. But whatever the context of his speech, he projected an air of self-confidence and concern to his audience. While most presidents are incredible orators, the likes of President Truman's no-nonsense speeches or President Kennedy's ask-not monologue quickly come to mind, and his Ichbing ein Berliner mishap may be equally memorable to some, but the presence they project leaves an indelible mark in the memories of Americans, and even years later allows us to feel the emotions behind their soliloquy. Making self-management the most important pillar of emotional intelligence in my eyes.